he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. We are indeed uh, telling the stories of that are mentioned again and again in Scripture, stories that shape uh, sometimes the language that we use even today and uh, the ways in which we understand the gospel according to Jesus and uh, shares with us God's love. Before I, I read the story with you today, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, this last week. We got a great invitation. Kim Richardson, uh, he's the pastor who sometimes preaches for me when I go on vacation. He called me uh, last weekend and said, Hey, Tim, I got an extra ticket to a Red Sox game. I want to know if you want to come. I was like, Wait, what? I have never been to Fenway. And I said, that sounds awesome. So Tuesday evening, we went down to Boston together, him, myself, and two other, two other people that he knew. We went to uh, Boston to hang out and to, to catch a game. And while we were there, everyone is reminiscing and talking about their favorite Boston players, their favorite Boston teams. And of course, as you go into the stadium, you see the plaques, you see the pictures, you see screens replaying famous moments of the games. But everyone's talking about their favorites, Carl Yastrzemski, Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens. They're talking about the people who were instrumental in their first World Series win that they could remember. Big Poppy, Manny Ramirez, like the names just go on. And they, like people just telling stories about uh, games they had seen, plays that had been made, just reliving it and loving it. This year, Boston's uh, team's not doing too good. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of joy in Beantown right now. They are at the bottom of their bracket. And so with this team, when they were playing, like, there was a lot of complaining about these players. Oh, this isn't going as well. When there was an error, oh, well, you know which outfielder would have never missed that? And then they'd name a different outfielder from the past. Uh, in fact, the opposing team had a player on their team that used to be a Red Sox back when the Red Sox were good. And when he went up to bat, oh, everyone's cheering and applauding, like remembering those days. And, and, and part of all of that uh, comes down to them saying, yeah, you know what, we remember when things were great. And everyone's wondering, When's it going to be like that again? Who's, like, this team has big shoes to fill. We want to know who's going to fill those shoes. Who's going to pick up the mantle and lead them to another World Series? That is, that is the question they have. And when they fall short of that, of course, they become disgruntled. And there are, of course, a lot of stories of people carrying on the mantle, people carrying on the heritage and the legacy of those before them. We find that even in our scriptures as well. So you have in our scriptures, you have Moses who leads the people out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea, and uh, well, uh, God parts the Red Sea, but uses Moses, and, and everyone goes through the Red Sea and goes uh, uh, as if on dry land and, and leaves Egypt, and wonderful story. But even he doesn't make it all the way to the promised land. That uh, gets passed on to Joshua. And Joshua will then lead the people victoriously into the new land and help them establish their nations. This great story. And Joshua picks up 
where Moses left off. And we find this in the story of the kings as well. David, this wonderful king called the man after God's own heart, defeats the enemies all around them, helps establish the nation of Israel, and everything is excellent, everything's going well. And even his son carries where, uh, continues where he left off. David wasn't able to construct the temple, but Solomon is. Solomon brings in the well. Solomon brings in the alliances with all the nations around him, and there's this wonderful, prosperous time. And so this idea of passing on is, uh, shows itself in Scriptures as well. But things don't always go well after that. In fact, after Solomon even, things got ugly. There was a split And the nation now is separated. The northern side becomes called Israel, and the southern side becomes uh, comes to be called Judah. And uh, and and the question then becomes: Well, what happens when the best of leadership isn't passed on? When when things were great, but then there's a transition and there's a change, and things aren't going so well. I mean, isn't that the lament of American politics every four years? (laughs) Well, the new guy's never as good as whoever we remember in the past. And so, uh, like, like, this is just this how things are. Like, or, or in a job, when a, there's a change in your employer, and you find yourself wondering, uh-oh, is this person going to be as good or have the same characteristics as the person before? And so it comes down to, like, where do we find ourselves pinning our hopes when that happens? Where do we look when... Uh, excellence we seem to remember that, that seems to have just been awesome before, that was exemplified in someone's ability to just bring radical, wonderful change, or someone's ability to be, bring reliable consistency, or usually some element of both of those, that just helped make them to be the most excellent person that they could be. When that person is gone, and someone comes in and isn't the same, where do we pin our hopes then? And the people of God have been wondering this as well. They've had some great leaders. They've had some great kings. But where things are looking now, it's getting ugly. They have a split nation now. There have been numerous conflicts from those surrounding nations. And even among themselves, a lot of fighting. God has seemed vacant. Until finally he started to speak through this amazing prophet, this guy called Elijah. But even Elijah is reaching the end of his years. And they're wondering, are things going to fall apart like everything else? Or is there going to be hope? Is someone going to be able to carry on that legacy? And so we find ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 2 with those kinds of thoughts on their mind. 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho, and the company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yeah, I know. Be silent. 
And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. And 50 men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. And responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. And as they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching, crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. I want to pause here for a moment and, and, and just make sure we understand this story. This story, Elisha has been following Elijah. They have become close friends. He has, they, they've had this wonderful kind of mentor-mentee relationship, teacher-student, and Elijah's just been following them, and they are close. They have, they have been uh, doing this thing called ministry for a while, and they are, they are friends, they are cohorts, they are, they are teammates uh, in this together, and they are working together. And Elisha just cares so deeply for Elijah. And you have prophets telling Elijah, any day now, in fact, we think it's today, the Lord's going to take him. And Elijah's yelling, yeah, I know, it hurts. Stop it, stop it. Stop telling me this. And you can imagine the prophets getting together, going, oh man, that Elijah and that Elijah, they're so close. What's going to happen? What's it going to look like when he loses his mentor? Oh, he's probably going to be heartbroken. They're like, oh. So they move on to the next city, to Jericho, a city that was is popular, famous for that first city when they came into the promised land. And there's some prophets there. And they say to Elisha, Elisha, guess what? He's going to be gone. He says, yeah, I know. Would you stop? You guys keep talking, keep talking. I just want you to shut up. And he's like, be quiet. And so uh, Elijah is with him and finally takes him and, 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 uh, and takes him out of Jericho to the Jordan. And the Jordan is a very well-known river, an important river. And, and uh, Elijah takes off the mantle, the uh, the, the apparel used that would help designate who he was as, as a prophet. And he rolls that up and he touches the water and the most amazing thing happens just like the story of Moses, the waters part. And just as the people of God were able to walk across on dry land, so too are they able to walk across on dry land. There's a very real kind of... Uh, 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 comparison to be made in this story between Elijah and Moses. I think without a doubt the author wants us to see that uh, Elijah striking his mantle to the water and it parting is supposed to signify for us that Elijah is a lot like Moses. You see, Moses was, of course, the one who, who told the people of God, God's going to save you, God's going to liberate you, you're not going to be slaves forever, you've got a promise and you've got a future. And the prophets of God at this point in time in their life are representing the voice of the Lord and carrying the message of liberation for God. They are the ones telling the people, you can indeed live a life faithful to God. God can help and you can live faithful to Him. He can free you from enslavement to sin. He can free you from that which separates you from God. 
that He indeed is welcoming us into that kind of relationship with Him. This is the voice of the prophets. And Elijah has shown himself to be the voice of God in a wonderful way, just like God had spoken through Moses. And then the most amazing scene happens. The scene of chariots. And fire comes down and it sweeps between them. And it separates them. It's like, like two people walking on a train track. When the freight train comes, you jump on either side and the train comes through. So the chariot just kind of splits them in two. And Elisha's afraid, absolutely terrified. And he calls out a warning. Oh no, it's the chariots of Israel. It's the chariots of Israel. He is absolutely terrified. Now tradition tells us, you know, it's the chariots that took Elijah up to heaven. Swing low, sweet, sweet chariot, you know, these kind of phrases. It's the chariots that took him to heaven. But the text tells us it's a whirlwind. And I can't help but think these chariots that Elisha is scared of, he calls them the chariots of Israel. Now, they are in cities in Judah, the southern country. Remember I said there was a split? And that southern country was one where the prophets were welcomed where the worship of God was much, our God was much more prevalent. Israel was turning away and worshiping other gods. And so there's a very real sense when he says, oh no, the the chariots of Israel, that I think Elisha's scared. I think think Elisha's trying to make sense of what he's seeing, and he's really worried about maybe a, a different group coming and attacking. I can't help but think that these chariots that split the prophets apart and then disappear into the heavens aren't that far off from being reminiscent of the chariots that disappeared between the waves of water when Moses led the people across on dry land and then the water came back and swept them out. The only thing that separated those waves of water was the wind of God that blew in from the east. So the story of Exodus says. And the wind that allowed the people to go into the promised land. And this time, it is a whirl of wind that allows Elijah, the prophet, to go into the heavens. To indeed uh, be in an eternal promised land with our Heavenly Father. The question, of course, is what to do with this passage. How do we make sense of this? Here it is in all its kind of fantastical glory for us to read, for us to believe, for us to make sense of, to try to go, like, how exact is this story. How much of this is literary embellishment? How much of this is is Elisha having a vision of some sort? What is happening? What we are left here is just this story that tells us about Elijah's special place with God, but also Elisha's future when he's able to take up the mantle. And I want us to dwell on this mystery of trying to make sense of this passage passage for a moment. I, I think it's okay to be like, I wonder what's happening here. And just to kind of accept it as the mystery that it is. I think we all dwell in mystery a little bit in our life. When someone who has had a great influence in your life has been removed from your life for some period of time, don't the stories get a little bolder? (laughs) Don't the stories get a little bigger? A little more nuanced? Let me give some examples. How far... Did your grandfather have to walk to school in the (laughs) wintertime? How big was that fish he caught? (laughs) How about the one that got away? (laughs) Right? How many many points did that deer have? I, I, I think we do this in the stories of great Christians in our life as well. People who've made a difference in our life. 
We have remembered them well. And, and, and we, we know their story. We know their faith. We know what they've done for us. But what happens as we retell that story and we remember that faith, remember the difference they make in our life, what happens is they get lifted to a point where they are like unattainable saints. So much more faith than we could ever imagine, that we could ever even begin to, to think that we could take after. In fact, we'll say things like, if only I had a portion, a fraction of the faith that they had. And so if someone were to look at us and say something like, you're the real deal, or you've been an inspiration to me, or, 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 or to say in some way, shape, or form that our life is, is making a difference in their life, then we can be quick to dismiss them as, well, that's, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's entirely incorrect. Like, if only you, because I know me. <laughs> I, I know me. <laughs> Oh, I know me. <laughs> and we're like, oh, so, so anything that can't be right, right? Rather than believing that we might actually have shoes to fill and that by the grace of God, by His grace, not, not, not out of what we have, but what He is doing in our life, it might be possible to live into the same faith, to live into what God has done in the lives of those before us. And so Elisha asks of Elijah, oh, if only I could be half as faithful as you are. No, Elisha says, give me a double portion because I want to honor your life by being as faithful and as much as God will work in me more. And this is where we are with 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. So Elisha, uh, we'll, we'll pick up here in uh, verse 13. He says he picks up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. And when the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, because remember, 50 had followed, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to him, bowed down to the ground before him, and they said to him, See now, we have fifty strong men among your servants. Let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of God's caught him up and like, like thrown him down on some mountain or into some valley. And he responded, No, don't send them. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, Okay, send them. And so they sent fifty men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, he had remained at Jericho. He said to them, didn't I say to you, do not go? In this story, Elisha has picked up the mantle. And, right? and, and this story is where we get the phrase, to pick up the mantle means to carry on where someone else has left off, uh, to follow in someone's footsteps. And so he picks up this, this mantle, this representation of him being a prophet of God. And he does the exact same thing that Elijah did. And now what's interesting is this, this parting of the water, uh, is, this is actually the fourth time in Scripture that this happens. We're like, wait, what? So Moses parts the Red Sea and they go across on dry land, the water on either side. But when he passes the mantle, so to speak, to Joshua, and Joshua leads the army into the promised land and they see Jericho in the distance, they're getting ready to cross. What it says, what the Scriptures say is that Joshua parted the Jordan 
and they walk across that as if on dry land. And it showed this, this great kind of transfer of power between Moses and, and Joshua, and now also between Elijah and Elisha. He has, he has indeed carried on and takes on everything that God has promised. He's carrying on the work. He is like, like a, he, he is to Josh, uh, Elisha is like Joshua, just as Elijah was like Moses. Able indeed to be as close to the Lord and lead the people of God. In fact, even the miracles that follow, 19 and on, when the people said to Elisha, this, this next passage I'm about to read as we finish out this chapter, there was a guy in my church, this was his favorite passage of Scripture. We, someone once said, what's your favorite verse? And he quoted this passage I'm about to read for you today. It was his way of telling us in the youth group, don't you make fun of me. So here we go. The people of the city said to Elisha, the location of the city is good as my Lord sees it, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it to him and then he went to the spring of water and threw the salt into it and said, thus says the Lord, I've made this water wholesome. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. And he went from there to Bethel. While he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head. Go away, bald head. And uh, this was the guy's favorite verse right here. When he turned around and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Uh, from there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. Yeah, yeah, he actually said that was his favorite verse of the Bible. And I was like, okay, okay. But this story, as, as out of place as it is, as kind of weird as it is, as much as we might kind of... I don't know, laugh at the, at the terrible fortune of 42 uh, uh, boys just, just laughing at a guy. Um, these stories are reminiscent of things that happened in Elijah's ministry. Elijah, who we, we read in uh, one of the New Testament passages we just read, uh, he, he, he's one who had prayed for rain. And the rain came and they were able to eat in the land again. And they go to Elijah and say, the water's poisoned. And he prays, and now there is health in the land again, and there's water again. In fact, it says uh, in this passage that after the mauling from uh, the she-bears, uh, uh, I, I said to, uh, uh, to the guys uh, behind the camera, I said to them today, I said, if this was 12 years ago, I would have called them Mama Grizzlies. And uh, you know, after those Mama Grizzlies come and kill the boys, uh, it says he went on to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is this famous location where Elijah meets against the prophets of God and is like, hey, your God against my God, showdown time. And then calls down rain, a, a, rain, a, a rain of fire against those false prophets. And Elisha, in the same way, is able to uh, show that he has the power of God against those who would speak against the people of God. Uh, this, this chapter, as, as odd as it is, is just kind of its own kind of retelling of Elisha has indeed picked up the mantle. He now fills the shoes of the prophets and the Lord is working now through the prophets of God. You see, God had started by working through Moses and then Joshua and they had judges after them to help hold the land, but that didn't work out. Then they had kings, they had great kings, they had David, they had Solomon. Oh, it was so wonderful, great time in the land. But then the kings didn't work out. At this point in the story of 2 Kings, they're at a point where it has not worked out at all. Where's the hope now? Where do we pin our hopes? Where do we hope for things to go back to how they used to be? And now it seems like our hopes are in the prophets. 
and the people who speak the Word of God. And this is, of course, the point in the sermon where, I said, where any self-respecting pastor with a television audience should tell you about the importance of the duty of the prophet <clears throat> and how they can take on the role and dictate the words of God for you and that there are miracles of God and you can trust me. But that would be a self-respecting pastor and not a God-respecting pastor. And you see, the Gospels won't let us do that either. You see, because the Gospels come at a time when the prophets have dried up, when the words of the prophets have, again, also started to turn away from God. The Gospels remind us that the fullness of the prophetic voice is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, we always end every Sunday, every message, not ultimately focused on what my sermon was about, but on Jesus Christ represented by the elements on this table. We remember by the time of the gospel that even the priests and the prophets had gone the way of the Jewish leaders and their kings. Now there's factions between them, there's disagreements, there's arguing, all these kinds of things. There hasn't been a strong voice among them in a while. But Jesus is the embodiment of prophecy. He's the son of David of the kings, and, he's introdu- and he introduces the law of love as the embodiment of the law of Moses. And we find indeed that in him all the promises of God are laid out before us. And he says to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12, he says this, Whoever believes in me will do the works I do, indeed even greater things than these. And he's saying to his disciples, the power of God, the mantle, is passed on to the disciples. And we are invited by Jesus Christ himself to pick up that mantle, to say what the Spirit of God wants to do in the world to bring salvation. We are invited to live in the grace of his Holy Spirit with the belief and the hope that the Spirit of Christ will do in us what we've seen Him do in Jesus Christ and already do in the lives of those around us. And what happens here is is we find ourselves recognized just as what we found in the New Testament passages we already heard today. In James, he says, hey, Elijah made it stop raining. But you can also be involved in the liberating work that if you you save someone from their sins, you're covering a whole multitude. Or the passage that Dan read, where indeed they find that uh, he said, hey, John the Baptist, who is just like Elijah, we could lift him up and say, oh, he is the best of them all. And he says, the least in the kingdom of heaven will be doing this as well. We are invited by Jesus Christ to say, we have a role and a purpose in the work of God today. So we can start imagining what happens when we stop elevating those of the past above that which we think God can do in us. When we believe that the Spirit of God has chosen us to do within and among our circles of influence what Jesus did in His, that we get to indeed invite people to experience God who wants to change their lives. How might God indeed be able to use us to bring healing to our land? Indeed, it is right and it's okay to honor those who have gone before, but to be able to start saying instead of, oh man, if only I was half as good, if we started saying, 
by God's power if only he would make me to be the person he would want me to be that others might also be saying, oh, I want to be like that. Or as Paul would say in the letters, in some of his letters, follow, uh, follow me as I have followed Christ. This understanding that there is a mantle that has been handed out and they said, here, God wants to use you and you have a role and you have a place precisely where you are and God is going to use you. Let's open up our hearts and see how God's Spirit wants to use us precisely where He has us, among the people that He brings into our life, and trust indeed that God is at work in those lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this story. This story of Elijah and Elisha that is a great big story, a story that is just kind of lived in just, just, just our conscious for a long time. And Heavenly Father, in this story, I think we can get distracted by the chariots, we can get distracted by the whirlwind, we can get distracted by how big this story is, by those details, and forget that the point of this story is that you have a mission for the people who call themselves followers of Christ, and that is to receive the same Spirit of God that alighted upon Him, that indeed that we can be free to live a life of love and a life of victory and that we can invite others to share and to be a part of that freedom. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the work that you are doing in our life and you, that you have done. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work in us and never allow doubt, never allow feelings of incompetence or feelings of unworthiness get in the way of what your Spirit wants to do through us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to receive with open hands the grace that you have poured out. And let us keep those hands open to share and gift to those around us. Thank you again for this message from your Old Testament, from, from uh, the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live faithfully to you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.